right? Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for this evening and thank you for bringing us safely together. And I pray that our time together would be fruitful, our time in, in your word. And I pray that you would teach us and that your spirit would be with us and uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and that we might understand the the, the depth of the, the riches uh, of the inheritance that we have in your son and uh, that we might understand all that you've accomplished through him, uh, that we might have uh, an eternal, uh, lasting, and abiding hope. And uh, we pray that uh, this would all be uh, to your glory and honor, uh, and we uh, pray in his name. Amen. Okay, so... Last time uh, we uh, worked through Romans uh, chapters 5 and 6 and we were seeing uh, this transition from the reign of sin, condemnation, and death uh, under the first man uh, to uh, the reign that comes through uh, the head of a new humanity, uh, Christ, uh, the reign of uh, grace, uh, righteousness, and life. Uh, and then in chapter 7, uh, we saw this uh, raises some, some issues uh, that Paul wanted to address so that his uh, audience did, didn't get the, the wrong idea and certain objections that people would raise against his gospel. Uh, shall we sin uh, that uh, grace may abound at the beginning of 6? Uh, may, it, may it never be. Uh, don't, don't get the wrong idea. Uh, no, we shall not sin so that grace may abound, but uh, we've died with Christ to sin, uh, and now uh, we live uh, to God. And so we've, we've died with Christ and died to sin, and we live to God. Uh, and then at the end of uh, that, uh, he raised another, another question uh, after he said, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So we're, we're not under law. Uh, what now? Uh, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. And so here, uh, we died to sin, and we're alive to God. Now uh, we've been freed from sin, uh, and we're now slaves to, uh, to obedience leading to righteousness, uh, to righteousness leading to consecration to God, uh, and uh, consecration uh, leading to uh, ultimately uh, eternal life. Uh, we're, we're now on the pilgrim's path, uh, the, the narrow path, uh, and we have our positional righteousness, our legal righteousness in Christ at the beginning when we first came to faith and we were justified. Now uh, there's uh, a moral, ethical righteousness that's we're now being brought into conformity to that positional legal righteousness that we have at the, the beginning of our Christian life. And so now we're, we're growing uh, in, a, in a moral, ethical righteousness so that now more and more uh, we can uh, obey God and be conformed to the very likeness uh, of Christ. And this will ultimately lead all the way to glory. And it's something that's true for uh, for all Christians. And so uh, we're dead to sin and alive to Christ. 
uh, and we're freed from sin uh, and we're slaves, slaves to God. Uh, and he uh, ends that, that section. Uh, verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, uh, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So wages, you get what you earn through law works, death. Uh, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when it comes to God's saving righteousness, whether we're looking at justification, sanctification, or glorification, it's all, it's a free gift. And it's, it's new life uh, and freedom in Christ uh, and in walking in the, the Spirit. And so uh, this brings us to where he's, he's going to uh, pick this up and, and continue, now focusing on the law, and especially the law in its capacity as law covenant. Law as law uh, that legally binds us, and if we don't keep it perfectly, uh, we're guilty, we're accountable, and it brings a curse uh, upon us. And so he's going to open this section arguing and showing that we have been released from the law. We've been released from the law covenant, the written code, to belong to another, uh, to belong to Christ, to bear fruit uh, to God. Uh, no longer do we serve in the old way of the written code, uh, but we serve in the new way of the, the spirit. And so it's, it's transition from the old covenant and the, the law covenant uh, to, uh, to the, the new covenant, uh, to life uh, in the spirit. We're now, we're freed from sins, uh, not just the condemnation uh, it brings upon us and the guilt and the death, but the enslaving power and corruption of sin. Uh, we're, we're freed from it. And uh, we'll see that the, the law, uh, as the, the law covenant, uh, the, the five, five books of Moses, the Torah, that uh, it was powerless to free us uh, from uh, from the enslavement to sin. Uh, it couldn't justify us. It couldn't sanctify us. It couldn't glorify us. Uh, and so let's just start with this first section. Uh, and we're also going to see this is going to raise a couple issues about the law where Paul's basically going to do two things. Uh, positively, he's going to show uh, that the law itself uh, is good. He's, he's going to defend the law, even, even as law covenant. The law is not sin, but it's holy, righteous, and good. Uh, and the law ultimately didn't kill him or any of us or his fellow Jews, but it was, it was sin. Uh, indwelling sin is our central pr problem, not the law itself. The law inherently is holy, righteous, and good. Uh, it doesn't kill, but it's... Uh, it's sin that's sin, and it's sin that kills. That's our central pro problem. So he's going to defend the law, but negatively, he's going to show that the, uh, the Torah, uh, the law, as law covenant, that, yeah, it's not, it's not the ultimate problem, but it's also not the solution. Uh, you can't free us uh, from, uh, from sin from its uh, corrupting, enslaving power. 
and from the, uh, the, the guilt and the death that it brings upon us through the law, co-opting uh, the, the law, uh, even though uh, it itself is, is good. And it's, the, it's Christ in, in the spirit uh, present with his people that's the, the solution. Yeah. Uh, what sometimes maybe confuses me is mm -hmm. the you know the the law of the Old Testament, the Mount Sinai mm -hmm. law, where the law was given, versus compared to the 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 New Covenant, where the, it's the law of Christ that we are to that that it's not even we are to do this. Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like we do it because of the love that we have, that Christ has given us. It's, it's a mm -hmm. gift from God to, to give us that desire to, for obedience. Absolutely. It's not, like, it's not almost like a, it's, it's, so it's, there's two different laws basically in my mind. It's mm -hmm. the, 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 the Old Testament law that no one can ever possibly even try to obey. Absolutely. Or, you know, as far as, because if you break one little part of it, you're going to, you fail. You yeah. Know? Yeah, but, the, but the law the, covenant. The law of Christ mm -hmm. is an entirely different, different thing, where it's 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 we are. In all of our imperfections, Christ is there with us mm -hmm. to help us in that in that endeavor to to live for Him. Yeah, yeah, and we're we're going to be we're going to be seeing that, although we'll also be seeing that. I mean, even under the old covenant, uh, the Mosaic covenant, and we'll be looking at some of these things. God did circumcise hearts uh, under uh, the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, in fact, Deuteronomy 30, a lot of times we talk about the, the New Covenant there, but it's not actually the New Covenant in Deuteronomy 30, but it's, uh, it's dealing with repentance uh, under the covenant uh, in that God would even grant circumcised hearts uh, to, his, to his people. And so on the one hand, they needed atonement, uh, and they had the sacrifices that they could trust God that he would forgive their sins, even though ultimately the Day of Atonement was year after year. Uh, the, the daily sacrifices, the weekly sacrifices, all the sacrifices for the, the feasts and the new moons and the, the Sabbaths and the seven years and the you know, four, 40, uh, 40 years and such, the, the jubilees. But they could trust God. He did make provision uh, that he would forgive their uh, their sins. And ultimately, uh, that shadow that they had, like on the Day of Atonement and such, and they could trust God, ultimately that's fulfilled in, in Christ. But he also did circumcise hearts so that he would cause them to walk in his uh, statutes and in commandments uh, and not to, not for the legal basis uh, of their uh, their. Um, their justification uh, in, uh, in their, their atonement. Uh, but he did, uh, in Deuteronomy 30, he, he did circumcise their, their hearts so that they could even begin to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and their neighbor as their self, not perfectly in this life, and, and he gave them his spirit. But the problem was, under the, the old covenant, he didn't, uh, it didn't give a perfect once-for-all sacrifice. So you have types in, in shadows. It, it, could, it could never finally perfect the sinner. Otherwise, Day of Atonement would have been year after year, as the author of Hebrews says. Um, and also, 
as far as repentance and circumcising their hearts, God never uh, promised in like Deuteronomy 30 uh, that he would do that for every single individual member uh, who belonged to the Old Covenant, uh, to the Mosaic uh, Covenant. And so uh, whether they had uh, circumcision and kept Sabbath, Sabbath was the, the sign. Just because you did those things, uh, you might be a, a member, you're under the, the covenant, but he didn't promise to all of them. And it, it's in the new covenant where he now promises that everyone who truly belongs to the new covenant, uh, who has his spirit, uh, to whom he grants repentance and faith, he will forgive their sins and remember them no more. And all of them, he will put his spirit in them. He will circumcise the, their hearts. He will cause them to walk uh, in his uh, statutes. Uh, and that's promised to every member who belongs uh, in the, the new covenant. So it's not that God didn't circumcise hearts under the old covenant. Uh, he did, but it just it wasn't promised to, uh, to everyone. And it couldn't finally uh, deal with, uh, with the problem of uh, sin and for the, uh, the nation and for, uh, for uh, believers. Um, and so we, we'll be seeing even here, though, that the Torah itself, uh, on the one hand, I uh, could function as law covenant, but it was also scripture. Uh, in the basic uh, moral righteousness, uh, the basic uh, standard of, of wisdom, of moral uh, ethical teaching and wisdom that's reflected in there, now in the new covenant, uh, God, uh, God places that uh, for, for all new covenant believers uh, in their hearts. And so, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. Well, that's first found in, in Leviticus and, and in, uh, in Deuteronomy. Um, and so that basic, that basic wisdom uh, in that basic uh, ethic and in, in righteousness that's reflected there of, of God's character and in, in teaching, uh, we still see that as, as scripture. Uh, and now God, God writes that on all of our hearts uh, in the, the new covenant. So we'll be seeing that a lot more as uh, we work through this uh, section. All right, and we're, we're going to try and move more quickly through seven. I want to show, I want to uncover like every detail, but just show kind of broad contours of how his argument uh, fits, uh, fits together. And so uh, to begin, uh, or do you not know brothers? For I am speaking to those who know the law. So he's assuming his audience, although they're largely uh, a Gentile audience, uh, but uh, we have some, some Jews uh, and also proselytes who made the, the full conversion, uh, God-fearers who studied the law but maybe didn't receive circumcision, uh, and then even uh, other maybe more pagan Gentiles who've come to believe, but they're taught. They, they had the scriptures. I mean, the, the scriptures uh, were uh, initially, is our, our Old Testament uh, that they studied. So... Uh, or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, who know the, the Torah, that 
of the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. And we're going to see this. Uh, he's going to give an illustration showing that uh, a, a, a woman uh, in marriage bound to the law of marriage, uh, bound to the law of her husband, where she can't divorce him or commit adultery or she'll become guilty. And he's going to use this illustration to show that when we were alive, uh, before we were identified with Christ and died with him, we were bound to the law. And it brought condemnation and guilt upon us and ultimately would result in the penalty of death so long as we, we broke it. Uh, but we've died with Christ. And so uh, he's going to show this, uh, this analogy to show you have a death and the woman's freed from, from the law of her, the, her husband in marriage. And then we too died uh, through, through Christ so that we might be released from uh, from the law covenant, from uh, from its legal binding upon us, bringing upon a curse and the, the penalty of death for, for breaking it so that we can belong to Christ. Uh, so let's, uh, let's read through this. Uh, or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound to the law are bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is fr free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So just going back to, to verse 2. Uh, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So as long as the two of them are married and they're bound in the covenant of marriage, which is a lifelong permanent through, uh, through this life, lifelong covenant uh, in law and even the, the Torah taught, taught on marriage and on uh, divorce, She's bound, uh, bound to the, the law of marriage. Uh, and even uh, here in, let's see, uh, verse 2. Oh, I forget. It wasn't tracking with me quite properly. And so even says uh, uh, an under-husband woman, a woman under, under her, her husband, uh, his uh, authority and, and bound uh, through uh, through the the law of uh, uh, of marriage. Uh, but if he dies, she's no longer bound to this covenant with her husband anymore, and she's released, and she can she can marry uh, marry another uh, under the uh, the Torah and under under marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, breaking the law. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not uh, an adulteress. So you have a death uh, of her, her husband, and she's released from, from the law of marriage and can marry another. Uh, and now he's going to show there's been a death uh, of Christ and us identified with him. And we're released uh, from, uh, from the, the law. 
uh, in a similar way. And uh, with analogies, it's not necessarily every jot and tittle, but there are certain, uh, certain similarities that he's highlighting between the two. You have a death, the woman's released from the law of marriage. Uh, so, uh, verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So you, you also, like this woman, have uh, died. It's the, the husband that dies here, but died through the body of Christ, uh, where we're identified with his death, and God reckons his death as our death. He bore our curse, our condemnation, that was due to us under, uh, under the law and under its uh, penalty uh, because of our sin. And so he's died, and us, uh, through him, uh, passed so that, present, you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. And he characterizes them. So we're to think of them now uh, to belong to, to him who has been raised from the dead. Uh, the living, resurrected Savior who died, who's now alive at the right hand of God uh, so that we might belong to him. And now we have a new master. Uh, we're no longer under the law and under sin uh, and under uh, the, the rule and the dominion of the law. Uh, the law covenant uh, in sin, but now we're under we're under Christ. Uh, we're under His rule, His dominion, uh, and uh, the grace and righteousness and life that uh, that flows uh, with that. And so uh, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to Him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit to God. So it's like in, in Ephesians uh, where he says that we're saved not by good works, but for good works. Uh, to, to glorify God so that God's glorified in that as he, uh, by his grace, uh, um, that you're saved for, for good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk uh, in them. Uh, as we're freed from, uh, from the, the law and we have newness uh, of life. And he goes on just to, uh, to explain and illustrate this more. Uh, for while we were living in the flesh, past, uh, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So that, that was then. While we were in the flesh, while we were uh, in our sinful, mortal, uh, humanity, uh, with all of its sinful passions uh, in, in sin and rebellion uh, against God, as, as all, uh, all humans have been from the time of Adam, naturally. Uh, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Uh, to bear fruit. Uh, this is what it produced uh, in us. Uh, this was our reward, our wages, uh, the fruit of, of our labor, of our sinful passions uh, roused by the law to bear fruit for death, to ultimately bring death 
uh, upon us. Uh, yeah, in this life, but then for all, all eternity uh, in, in the, the final judgment. But now, and we're going to see these contrasts over again. That was then, this is now. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so we're freed from the Torah as law covenant in that capacity of that old a covenant that brought a curse upon us for breaking it on the penalty of death. Uh, and so Paul polemically repudiates the law, the Torah, as law covenant. And here we're, we're going to see, he, he's going to show actually positive light. Sometimes you can say it's a sense in which he's fulfilled the Torah, fulfilled the law as law covenant. Christ has fulfilled it. He's borne the curse. He fulfilled the righteous requirement on our behalf. But then Paul uh, radically replaces the law, uh, Torah, as theological motif, a lot of times with these new covenant themes. Uh, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. It's been replaced with something new, the new way of the spirit, not the, not the written code. Not just the Torah written out on tablets of stone that couldn't free us from sin's condemnation uh, and power and couldn't give us life. Not just the, the Torah uh, written out in scrolls, the five books of Moses as law covenant, but uh, it's radically replaced with the new way of uh, the, the spirit. Uh, we're going to see that, uh, see that, that more. Uh, now the law written uh, in our hearts uh, by the, the Holy Holy Spirit and walking by the Spirit and faith working through love, as he says in uh, Galatians. All these different ways he expresses uh, and radically replaces, as Brian S. Rosner says, uh, the, the Torah uh, with these new covenant uh, themes. Uh, no longer under the old covenant, but now uh, the new way of the Spirit or the, the law of Christ. And now uh, we're going to work quickly through and uh, we can have more discussion uh, because we're, we're going to have to see Paul's whole argument and flow of thought here uh, as we get into uh, chapter uh, chapter 8. But this is his main point that he's driving home to them, uh, showing that uh, they are now freed from the law. Uh, they're freed from the law covenant. Uh, and now uh, they belong to Christ uh, so that they can bear fruit, fruit to God. Not the old way of the written code, but the new way of uh, the, the Spirit. Uh, and then now we're going to see uh, that he's going to positively uh, defend uh, the law and the Torah because there's things he's been saying all throughout that Paul... You sound kind of negative uh, toward the <laughs> toward the, the Torah and to to the uh, the uh, the the law covenant, and so positively uh, he's going to to show. In fact, uh, look at verse seven. What then shall we say? Uh, that the law is sin? By no means. 
And so he's going to show the, the law is not sin, but sin is sin. Sin is sinful. Uh, in fact, uh, look at verse 12. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. That's what he's going to conclude from, uh, from that section. Just like in chapter, uh, chapter 6, uh, to, that we think rightly about grace and sin uh, in the, the law. Shall we sin that grace may abound? May never be. We're dead to sin. We're alive to God. And so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And then look at uh, verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? That which is good, uh, the, uh, the, the law, uh, the, the Torah. Uh, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. And so the law is in sin, but sin is sin. And the law uh, doesn't kill, but sin kills. Sin is fundamentally the problem. Uh, the Torah itself is holy and righteous and good, but negatively, it can't free us uh, from uh, the, the power of sin and from uh, its condemnation and the, the death that comes, comes from it. And so it's not, it's not ultimately the problem, but it's not ultimately the solution either. Uh, in fact, look, uh, look uh, into uh, verse 24. So a uh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, concluding, tying, tying it all together, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And we're going to see, all he can do is give mental assent to the Torah as law covenant. But it can't free him uh, from the law of sin that, that rules over him and dominates uh, his fallen, sinful, mortal uh, human nature uh, apart from the spirit. We're going to see in this section, the spirit is nowhere to be found. Uh, Christ is nowhere to be found uh, until the very end. Uh, that there's no freedom, there's no life, uh, there's only uh, sin uh, and uh, death and the law. Uh, and then uh, into verse 8. Uh, there is, therefore, uh, tying back all the way to what we saw at, uh, toward the, the beginning in 7, there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, and should be the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so again, we see a uh, radical replacement. The spirit uh, of, of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin uh, in death. And uh, we'll discuss that uh, a bit more. But you see this replacement again with these new covenant ideas. Uh, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, where the spirit is and Christ is present with his people, there's freedom uh, and there's, there's life uh, from, uh, from sin, from its corruption, from uh, its guilt uh, and the penalty of death it brings upon us through, through the law. 
Uh, and so uh, let's uh, read through this. Uh, and I also want you to notice as we work through, we're going to see this. That was then. This is now. Uh, and he's going to, uh, he starts actually by addressing them, you in the past. Then he says, we in the past. Then when he gets to, uh, is the law sin? I in the past. Uh, and then to verse 13, did that which is uh, good, the law, then bring death to me? Uh, he's going to go to I in the past. And then uh, verse 14, a supporting way just said about the past, I in the present. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Uh, so what, what we're going to see here is Paul could just as easily plug his audience in. You, you all, we, uh, I in the past, uh, I in the past, I in the present. Uh, because Paul, uh, as uh, one who uh, has been born a sinner, a uh, one who still uh, retains uh, indwelling sin, who's not yet glorified. Uh, he can identify uh, with, uh, with sinners. Uh, he can identify uh, with his people. And so he can use his audience, address them directly. You in the past, we in the past, I in the past, I in the past, I in the present, supporting what I just said in the past. And we'll, we'll kind of work through and see how that all plays out. But he's not giving uh, a detailed uh, autobiography. Uh, uh, we're not going to see where he's saying, uh, right now, as I'm writing this letter, you know, I'm, I'm wrestling with sin right here. Uh, he's not going to give dates or places or uh, specific details. But as one who has been born a sinner, who still retains sin, isn't glorified yet, he can identify with sinners, so can his audience, uh, and with the, uh, the Jewish people. And he'll use himself as, uh, as an illustration uh, as we uh, work through this. Uh, and so, just even... Uh, let's just read through uh, verse 4 again, just to see this contrast. That was then, this is now. Uh, starting with you, we, and then we'll go to I. Likewise, my brothers, you, addressing them, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit to God. So you, you died in the past with Christ so that you might belong to another, to Christ, in order to bear fruit to God in the present. For while we, in the past, were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members uh, to bear fruit for death. But now, in the present, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so that, that's his big, a big point. We've been freed to serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code of the law covenant. Uh, now we're going to see him go, I, in the past, uh, talking about, talking about uh, the enslaving uh, power of sin, uh, co-opting the law to bring death upon him. And so, uh, verse 7. What then shall we say? 
you know, don't, don't get the wrong idea here. Uh, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? And I'll think about what, what he's been saying uh, throughout. And we, we could trace back uh, all these statements that he's said about the law, uh, that uh, no man will be justified through the law, uh, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin, uh, that uh, the law came in to increase the transgression that came with, with Adam. Uh, and even putting the law and sin so close, wait, we're, we're, we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. So sin will have no dominion over us. Are you saying that the, under the law, under sin, is the law sin? To be under the law is to be under sin? Uh, and to be, to be in, enslaved to the law is to be enslaved to sin? So he doesn't want him to get the wrong idea. The law itself, even as law covenant, it's holy and righteous good. It, it comes from God. Uh, it's indwelling sin that's the problem. So did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. It's not that there wasn't sin before, as we've discussed, before the coming of the law, uh, which you just talk about, the coming of the law uh, at Sinai uh, before, uh, that sin was in the world and uh, through sin came death and death spread to all men. Uh, and he goes on to say, that even, even before the, uh, the, the law came, the law increased the transgression. And so here we see that it was sin producing death in me through what is good, through the law, co-opting it in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. And so we're going to see he's going to use covetousness uh, to illustrate this. And that you might get away, not that it wasn't sinful before, but to be covetous. But something like covetousness, sinners with seared consciences uh, might get along as if uh, they're not sinning. And, well, it's not wrong for me to desire these things. But when the law says, you shall not covet, and if you do, this is the penalty... You know, cursed is any man who doesn't abide by every word of this law to do it. Now suddenly, you see that covetousness is truly sinful and it's damnable. Uh, it'll, it'll bring uh, damnation and condemnation upon us uh, and send us to hell. Uh, it'll bring death uh, upon us and a curse instead of a blessing. And so the law showed sin for what it truly was. The law wasn't sin. It's sin that's sin. Uh, and it shows that sin is sinful beyond measure. Uh, and so he illustrates this. For we know that the law, or, whoa, I jumped, sorry. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known uh, what it is uh, to covet, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Uh, now, here, 
The idea of uh, opportunity, the basic idea is very clear. I don't want to go into it too much and get, get distracted. But it's really, it could deal with all sorts of things. Uh, and basically any uh, resources or means uh, through which uh, one uh, could uh, achieve uh, an advantage uh, to bring about uh, an end, something that, that they want to bring about. And so uh, it could have to do with all sorts of things and even uh, things like, uh, sometimes you'll see it with, with things like warfare, um, but also uh, things like uh, setting out on an endeavor or uh, in, in a market, like in business uh, and such. Uh, and so uh, let me just give you uh, one, one definition that's uh, very, very clear uh, from the Bible sense lexicon uh, with logos, uh, the glass opportunity occasion, uh, the means by which an endeavor can begin or where something can make advancement in its own uh, behalf. And uh, here you have sin, here has the opportunity or the means through the law taking that to produce covetousness in Paul and to bring about, uh, bring about his death, uh, basically to exercise its sinful passions uh, in, uh, in Paul. Uh, and this even goes back to uh, with, uh, with Cain. God warns him, sin is crouching at the door or at the, the opening, maybe even like kind of like a den or like cave type, like with a, an animal. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. It's going to gain mastery over Cain uh, and rule and dominion over him if uh, he doesn't uh, if he doesn't rule over it. Its desire is for you. And we're going to see, he's going to, going to personify sin in the same way, especially as we get to the, the, the latter portion, uh, try and gain mastery uh, and rule. And there are some then where that meaning is very clear. Uh, the only question is, uh, some commentators will say that there's a, a really strong uh, military metaphor here, and they might gloss it as, and the, the same idea is still basically there. The idea is, is it a strong military metaphor or not? And sometimes they'll gloss it as a base of operation or uh, a bridgehead. Uh, however, uh, I'm, I'm not convinced uh, of that uh, at this point. Uh, and unfortunately, the, the commentaries that I've seen, uh, they have asserted that. Uh, they don't actually support it. Uh, and it's a complex linguistic issue. Uh, and the actual word had such a wide range of meaning in the first century uh, and how Paul uses it. And long before that, it wasn't strictly used for military ideas. So I'm not totally convinced that Paul's audience would have processed this as a strong military metaphor. And I think if you use the word base of operation, that even from English, it, for me, that, that brings an idea of like a military compound. Uh, and I'm uh, just not, not, uh, not fully convinced uh, at this point. So I always try and play it safe with some of those things. But the, the same basic idea is still there. The question is, is it a strong military metaphor or not? That's, uh, that's the only difference. Uh, but so sin seizing uh, an opportunity through the commandment 
uh, through, through the, the law, you shall not covet, the 10th commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. Uh, it's kind of even like a kid with a cookie jar. When you say, don't, don't eat the cookies in the cookie jar, we're saving those for, for later. You can have, have them later. Now suddenly their, their desire and attention is drawn to the cookie jar and it, it becomes, because of their sinful natures, it becomes a, a temptation for them. And so here saying you shall not covet, not only does it show what covetousness is and what the penalty is so you can't get away with it, but now sin, the desire to have what it, what it can't have, what it ought not. And if you think back to the garden, but from the tree, you know, you may eat from all the trees in the garden. Those that are good for food, those that are delightful to the eyes, beautiful. Uh, and in the, the tree of life, everything they could ever want or need. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from it. For in the day that you eat of it, from it, uh, you shall surely die. And the serpent was trying to direct the woman to this one thing she could not have in rebellion uh, against God. Uh, and so uh, Paul, Paul goes, goes on in the past still. I was once alive apart from the law. Or so he thought. He, he wasn't necessarily uh, alive. Uh, he was sinful, but so he thought. Uh, I was once alive apart <laughs> from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Oh, the irony. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. So sin in sinful passions, using the law against Paul, co-opting it, 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 it sprung to life in him and he, he became aware of it. And Paul, uh, Paul died. He, he realized his guilt uh, and condemnation for breaking the commandment. Uh, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And so is the law sin? No, the law isn't sin. It's sin that's sin. The law is holy and righteous and good and all that it, all that it taught. Uh, and if, uh, if they, they could obey it, if, if it wasn't for their sinful natures, it wouldn't bring death upon them. But because of their indwelling sin, it brings condemnation and death and a curse uh, upon them. Uh, but the law itself is inherently good. Uh, but it can't free them from sin. So uh, verse 13 uh, did that which is good then, the law. He's just said that the, the law, this law covenant, was holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. And so it truly shows just how sinful and wicked and evil sin is and brings death uh, upon us. And notice, he's still in the past. He's gone from you in the past, 
under the law? To we in the past under the law? To I in the past? I in the past? And then we'll see it. Uh, I in the present, supporting what you just said about I in the past. Uh, and so, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For, so supporting just what he said, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. The law is spiritual. It's from God. It's, it's scripture. Uh, it's, it's from God. Uh, it's from the, the spirit. And so it's spiritual by uh, its very nature. Uh, it's characterized as coming from, from God. But I am of the flesh sold under sin. Wait, Paul. Christians, a lot of times, we're going to see, he's going to apply this in chapter 8. You have to be careful. Let Paul say one thing at a time. Like Brian S. Rosner says, don't be too quick to apply it. He's going to, sometimes he's going to be very black and white, and he will hear. Later in chapter 8, he will get to, yeah, okay, there, there's, still, there's still abiding sin to deal with that we have to put to death. As he does in Galatians 5, uh, in 6, uh, and elsewhere. But here, He's supporting what he just said about the past, using himself as an illustration, and he could just, as one who has been born a sinner, who still retains sin and identifies with sinners and with his people under the, under, uh, the, the law. And so he could just as easily plug his audience, you, we, I, uh, in here. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Paul, you're enslaved. He's just talking about Christian experience here, being enslaved under the law, under sin, bringing death upon him through the law covenant. Wait, Paul, we're not under the law covenant. We're not enslaved uh, to sin uh, anymore, as we're going to see with this conclusion. Uh, and the rest is going to, it's going to support what we just said about in the past, uh, with this past-present contrast. And we'll see... No spirit here, no life, no freedom, just sin, death, condemnation, and enslavement uh, throughout this passage, showing, showing what it's like uh, to be enslaved by the power of indwelling sin. It's not the law, even as law covenant, that's ultimately the problem, but it's not the solution because the problem is indwelling sin. So... Uh, in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment becomes sinful beyond measure. It's the law that brought death through, through the commandment. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, under its dominion and power. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And we'll, we'll see this unfold. And so, 
Uh, here, he's, he's going to repeat this with just slightly, slightly different words, showing that he's, in, he's enslaved. He's sold under sin. He's of the flesh, not of, uh, not of the, the, the spirit, uh, by, uh, by nature. Uh, and just showing. Mentally, he can assent. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, as he says, for I, I, do not, uh, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do not do what I want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And we'll also see, he's not saying I'm not culpable for my sinful actions, but showing that sin is the ultimate problem. Indwelling sin under its rule, under its dominion, uh, under its mastery and enslavement, using the law to bring condemnation and death into curse uh, upon us. And so ultimately, the enslaving power of indwelling sin, and here he's basically personifying sin, like with, like with Cain. Sin is at the door, uh, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. To gain mastery over him, and to rule, and to bring Cain under its power. Uh, to bring it under its thumb to rule over him and dominate him and bring about his own destruction. Uh, and so, uh, verse 17, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. That's what we've learned so far. And now he's going to support it again and, and kind of repeat what he said, but expand. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. And now he might be saying, you know, the, the spirit, if the spirit dwells in us, you know, the, the spirit is good. But he's saying the issue here, he's talking about the flesh. Uh, I know, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. Clarifying. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Showing again, he's enslaved under the power and dominion uh, of, uh, of sin. In fact, just quickly, we'll see him pick this back up. But go, go to, uh, we'll see clarity, but go to Romans chapter 2 toward the end of the chapter. Verse 17. And so he goes from the, the Gentiles. But you might be wondering, well, how, how, uh, how could he affirm that the law, this law covenant, is good if, if he's not a regenerate believer? Well, he's, he's writing from the perspective, reflecting on these things on his past, but, uh, verse 17, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness and instructor of the foolish, 
a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that uh, one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. They approve of the law, they boast in it, they know it's good, they know it's the embodiment of truth and wisdom, and they think they're teachers and instructors, but they break the very law that they boast in. Uh, and so uh, Paul, Paul's a Jew. Uh, this was common for, for the Jewish people to, to boast uh, in the law uh, and in the, the law covenant. But just mentally assenting to it isn't good enough. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't free you from the enslaving power of sin. So go back, back to Romans 7. Uh, and uh, so uh, verse, uh, verse 18, uh, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do not do, or now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And now, what, 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 what are we uh, learning from this uh, up until now? Uh, the whole thing has been supporting, we were just talking in the past, that the law is spiritual. I'm, a, I'm of the flesh sold under sin. He, saying that the law didn't kill me, but sin through the law uh, killed me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. So I find it to be a law that governs things, and some put this, Douglas Moo and others, describe it as like a, a principle uh, that you learn from this, but there's a reason he's using law, and also throughout this, there are actually a ton of sevens as he's building up his theme, so that's part of it, but there's a reason he uses the word law here that, that governs things. This is the order of things. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Now, notice here, we're starting to multiply laws uh, that are going on. So let's just work through. Verse 21, so I find it to be a law this is the governor or rule of, of things. That when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. So he wants to, you know, he can mentally assent, but evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So we have the law of God that he's been talking about. And uh, did the, is the law sin? By no means. The law is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then, the law, kill me? By no means. It, it was sin. Uh, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. So you have the law of his mind, 
the law, the Torah, the law covenant that he delights in, wants to do, but, but can't, but I see in my members. So in, in his uh, parts that make up the whole man. And there's even that imagery in chapter three where he even draws on their feet are swift to shed blood. Uh, their, their lips are full of curses and bitterness or the, and the, the, the ass above like vipers is, is under their, their tongue. And so he even uses this expression even through our bodies through which we sin that comes from the attitudes of our hearts. Uh, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, delaying in the law of God and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So now you have the law of sin. He delights in the Torah, the law covenant with his mind, but there's another law uh, waging war against the law of his mind, uh, law in his members, making me captive, enslaved to the law of sin that dwells in my members. The law of sin that rules over him, uh, that dominates him, that enslaves him, the law of sin uh, now. Uh, and so now he cries out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Brings death upon him in enslavement. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so then, this is what we've been learning up until now. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. He mentally assents to the law of God, to the Torah. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. His sinful passions uh, at work in him, in his sinful, mortal, human, uh, human nature. All he can do is give mental assent to the Torah. But he can't, he can't obey it. He's powerless against the enslaving power and law of sin. And now, this will tie things together. Uh, so... Chapter 8, verse 1. Chapter markers weren't there. You know, yeah, yeah. got to keep reading. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You. He's back to his audience. He could just as easily put his audience uh, in there that whole time. You in the past... We in the past, I in the past, I in the past, I in the present, supporting what I just said about the past, uh, being, uh, being uh, enslaved in sin, using the law to bring death upon me. So the law is in sin, and the law didn't kill him, but sin is sin, and sin killed him through the law. But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, even going back to the beginning of chapter 5, that we've been justified, we're now reconciled uh, to God. There's no condemnation for, supporting, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There's a new law. Law, it's been radically replaced with the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that now imparts life and freedom to believers 
where they only had enslavement uh, in, uh, in, in death. And so this is the new covenant. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now wait. The law isn't sin. The law didn't kill him. It's sin that sinned. And sin that killed him. The law of sin and death. The law that dwells in his members. That wages war against the law of his mind. Uh, in, and uh, he even says, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So it set you free from the law of sin and death. It's sin that sin, even beyond all measure, and it's sin that kills. The law of sin in death. They have now been set free, his audience, Paul, from that, that law, from the law of sin and death that dominated them in their sinful passions. For God has done what the law, the Torah, weakened by the flesh, the law of sin and death, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. For, and for sin, uh, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For God has done what the law, it's now the Torah. It's good and holy and righteous. It's not sin. It didn't kill him. It's sin that sinned, and sin that killed through the law. And so it's, it's not ultimately the problem, indwelling sin is, but it's not the solution either. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh. Because of indwelling sin, it couldn't justify, it couldn't sanctify, it couldn't glorify, it couldn't give life or freedom uh, from the law of sin and death. So for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So Christ took the place, and that's past, by the way. We're back to the past with, uh, with, with you. And just go back to, toward the beginning of 7, verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law, past, through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit to God, present. For while we were living in the flesh, past, we, uh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Isn't that everything we saw through the rest of chapter 7? For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, that was then, this is now, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Back to chapter 8. There is therefore, or, or even uh, one verse before, so then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, mental assent, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. You can identify as, as one who's been born a sinner who still retains a sin nature. And we'll see. You still have to put sin to death. We're not glorified yet. He's going to get there. But at this point, 
that's stark black and white focused on the enslaving power of sin to show the law is not ultimately the problem but it's not ultimately the solution either uh, because it's powerless against uh, against indwelling sin uh, that ruled over you we i you <laughs> us so there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus uh, for the law passed uh, of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so Paul polemically repudiates the law. Or here in some ways, he's kind of defending the law. And so, but shows it's been fulfilled even as law covenant. There are different ways it's fulfilled, but as law covenant, it's been brought to an end so that now it's radically replaced uh, with uh, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Not an old way of, we serve not, no longer the old way of the written code, but the new way of the spirit. We have a new law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The, very much like the, the law of Christ. Uh, all, all of these themes we see throughout Galatians and Corinthians and, uh, and elsewhere. And then, uh, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin uh, in the flesh. And that was passed. Uh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, I just want to show you a couple verses, but we're going to have to go at least one more class uh, because there's some deep issues and we just don't have time to go in, into all this new covenant language uh, and how, how all of this uh, works, the righteous requirement of the law and such. But just to give you a little preview of that, here, part of what the Spirit does uh, in this section uh, is to uh, free from the condemnation, the guilt, the punishment, uh, that uh, Christ bearing our sins, bearing our condemnation, bearing our death, uh, so that we didn't have to, uh, to justify us. And so you certainly see uh, issues of justification uh, here and removing the, the condemnation uh, of sin and the guilt and the penalty of death. But it's also beyond that where uh, the corruption, the enslaving power uh, of sin, we're also freed from and given life so that we can walk uh, in life. And just these contrasts of past, uh, God has done uh, what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, past, so that in the present, in order that uh, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
And we'll be looking at many texts, but just go back to, let's see, go back to, well, chapter, chapter 2. We'll see some new covenant themes, but then we're going to see some past-present themes that I want to show you. And so uh, toward the end of chapter uh, chapter 2, let's see, verse uh, 20, start with 25, uh, for circumcision, physical circumcision, uh, talking to the Jews, uh, indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. The physical doesn't matter. You know, it's the, it's the heart that matters. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised, Gentile, but keeps the law, will condemn you who have the written code. And circumcision, physical circumcision, the physical written code, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And we'll discuss this more uh, next time, Lord willing. But just this last verse, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. So not by the Torah as law covenant, but by, by, the, by the spirit, uh, the inward uh, circum, circumcision, uh, making our hearts, as Eric has spoken about, responsive to God and, and soft and malleable to respond to God, to his word, by uh, the power of his, uh, his spirit. Uh, in circumcision, it's, it's a matter of uh, the heart, uh, by the spirit, not by the letter. That's new covenant theme. His praise is not from man, but from God. Uh, and we're going to see this with, there's a certain moral, ethical righteousness that was taught in the law, is scripture, uh, is, is wisdom, that now by the spirit, not by the law, not by the law covenant, now God writes into our hearts. And we're going to see this theme again and again. And we'll look at passages like Jeremiah 31, 32, uh, Ezekiel uh, chapter 11 and 36 with the, the new covenant. And now go to uh, Romans chapter 5. So he talks about rejoicing in the glory of God now that we've been justified. And then uh, verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, into our hearts. And we're going to see this, this theme over and uh, over again. That's why 
hope does not put us to shame because of the, the spirit who now dwells in our very hearts. The down payment of our adoption, and we wait for the fullness of our adoption and inheritance, but we have the, the first fruits of it. And then uh, go to chapter 6, and here are uh, some of the most important ones. Uh, chapter uh, 6, uh, these past-present contrasts, uh, verse 4. We were buried, therefore. So shall we sin that grace may abound? No, we've, we've died with Christ. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, present, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, present. That's why we were buried, therefore, uh, with him by baptism into death, in order that, present, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And some of that, as some scholars point out, past, future, but there's kind of a future orientation, but we have, we have the first fruits now of sharing in his resurrection and life through, through the Spirit. But ultimately, it's oriented toward our glorification in, in future where it will be completed. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall surely be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Fast. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from, uh, from sin. And so now, now present, you know, our present state. We've been set, set free, or we're no longer enslaved. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Uh, for the death he died, uh, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And so from that, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. That's the, the takeaway for our present. Uh, and, and we could read through that whole section. Uh, but just look uh, now verse 15. What then? Are, are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, past, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. To the standard of teaching to which you were uh, com committed. Uh, that they're taught uh, in the, the gospel. Uh, walking, uh, walking by faith, uh, loving one another, loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For, past, just as you once presented your members as slaves 
uh, to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. You pre present yourself as a slave into the rule and mastery of sin and lawlessness. It just multiplies lawlessness upon lawlessness upon lawlessness until it brings death upon you. Uh, so now, present, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading uh, to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you know, he keeps going past, past. That was then, this is now, uh, in, uh, verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, uh, the fruit you get leads uh, to sanctification and its end, eternal life. It's all free gift. And then uh, finally, uh, just look at two more. Uh, chapter 7, verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law, past, uh, through the body of Christ, so that, present, you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit to God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. That was the past. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. New way of the Spirit. That's why we died. That's why we're, we were freed uh, in Christ. So that we might live to God so that we might walk in newness of life, so that we might bear fruit to God and belong to another and serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Uh, and then, just lastly, uh, look at these last two things. Uh, chapter 8, verse 3, For God has done... What the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Past, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to uh, the spirit. He's going to show unbelievers, they can't obey God. They're not even able. But you, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. Uh, and uh, chapter 14. Chapter 14. We could see this in Galatians 5 and 6 uh, as well. And actually, uh, it's uh, 13. It's, it's toward, toward the end uh, in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to neighbor, therefore love is uh, the fulfilling of the law, or more literally, love is the fullness of the law. Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And so now it's not, it's not through the law covenant, but this basic righteous, moral, ethical principles and wisdom that was found 
uh, in the Torah that still is. Scripture is still found in, in the Torah that we're no longer legally bound to. We're no longer under the law covenant. Uh, we don't come under uh, a curse or condemnation. But that basic ethical, moral, uh, righteous teaching is now written in our hearts by the Spirit. It's the very language in Ezekiel uh, that we will see in Ezekiel 11 and 36 in Jeremiah of the, the new covenant. God putting his commandments and stipulations into our hearts and causing us to walk in his commandments. In the new covenant, by, by the Spirit, uh, not by the written code, not by the law covenant, but Paul wholeheartedly reappropriates the Torah as scripture, as a source of wisdom and uh, prophecy for teaching, for instruction. And so this righteousness, righteousness can be used in a multitude of ways. We're sometimes looking to that, uh, that imputed forensic legal righteousness that was imputed to us by grace through faith in Christ to justify us at the beginning of our Christian lives when we believed. Legal verdict by, by God. You're just in my sight as if you had never broken the law because Christ has borne bore the penalty and he, he lived uh, the perfect life. But then there's a moral, ethical righteousness in outworking, being conformed to the image and likeness of Christ where, okay, this positional legal status that we have, just as God's decree, um, now our, our behavior is brought into conformity with basically uh, the, 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 the positional status that we had at the very beginning of our Christian lives. Now through our sanctification, we grow in holiness. We grow in obedience, uh, in uh, righteousness and sanctification as new life in the spirit, as freedom uh, from sin that will ultimately lead to our glorification. But it's not the, it's not the legal basis for our justification. So uh, we'll see this, uh, see this more uh, that righteousness can be used in, uh, in uh, diverse ways. And it's very important that we understand the differences so that we understand justification, but we understand sanctification too. And we're not deficient. And we also can't give it an appropriate answer uh, to dealing with things like Roman Catholicism and such. If we don't recognize the places where righteousness is dealing with moral, ethical, new life in the spirit, sanctification. Uh, but no, every time we see righteousness must always be justification. That's how people fall into things like infused righteousness where you can be increasingly justified and lose it and gain it and lose it and gain it. So we'll make more of these uh, distinctions and gone over time, so let's just pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I uh, thank you. Thank you for your word and uh, for, for the wisdom, uh, your wisdom uh, that you, you've revealed uh, through your Holy Spirit uh, and through your, your Apostle Paul uh, as you carried him along by, by your spirit. And thank you for your word and uh, thank you 
that the, the Torah, even, even as law covenant, uh, we see that uh, it was good and holy and righteous, uh, and it, it wasn't the source uh, of death, uh, ultimately, but even though it wasn't the ultimate problem, it wasn't the solution either. Uh, we, we thank you for sending your son, uh, for that he's borne our condemnation, uh, that he's lived the perfect life that we couldn't, so that we could be reckoned righteous uh, in him. And, uh, and that we thank you uh, that uh, for all who have repented and trusted in him, that uh, he's, he's present with us uh, through, uh, through uh, his, his very spirit, through, through your Holy Spirit. Uh, and we pray that uh, by uh, the power of your spirit that uh, you'd put to death uh, those uh, sinful deeds and uh, that abiding sin that still remains and that uh, we'd be conformed to the likeness of your son so that we might walk in newness of life uh, and freedom uh, in your Holy Spirit. And so we thank you for, for all of these things and we uh, give, you, give you all praise and thanks and glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.